Hello, everyone, and welcome along to episode 97 of the Hunger for the Hustle podcast. A special episode, and one me and my friend Yuri, who's joining me today, have been trying to get together for a while. We're both very busy boys, and uh, despite, despite a few three or four reschedules, here we are on this Monday afternoon to bring you an episode all about psychedelic psychotherapy. Yuri is a very good friend of mine, someone I'm proud to call a very good friend of mine, and has actually, I would say, been someone who's been instrumental in helping me integrate, move my life from one side of the world to the other, which isn't an easy job. So thanks for that, Yuri, and thanks for being a good mate to start with. Okay. Let me tell you a bit more of what I know about Yuri before I'm sure he can tell you a bit better of what he knows about himself and his chosen profession. Dr. Yuri Shamis is a man of many talents, full of entrepreneurial spirit and the ingredient that we do love in this podcast, the hunger for the hustle. Yuri is a multiple business owner and operator, as well as a practicing psychotherapist. With refreshing, 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 that's not a word, a refreshing holistic approach. Yuri says, I see therapy not as a doctor-patient scenario, but rather as two colleagues tackling a problem. And I think that's a really nice refreshing way to look at it. Yuri also specializes in the niche but rapidly growing global trend of psychedelic integration therapy and this will be the main subject of what we're talking about today. Yuri mate, welcome to the show. How are you on this sunny Monday afternoon in Melbourne? Thanks Jake, thanks for the nice introduction. I'm very well, thank you. Good, I'm pleased to hear it. Yuri, let's kind of rewind back to your story. I mean, what made you want to start studying psychotherapy? And I know you did that for many years. You know, you did your your uh, your initial studying and then went on to do a master's, as I understand, and of course got your doctorate, which is uh, quite a lot of work. So what, what kind of started kicking that off? What, what made you want to study psychotherapy? I think it starts off with being um, an unhappy kid. Struggling to fit in with uh, with society, struggling to fit in with, with school. And I think mainly having issues, I guess, communicating my needs and feeling held and understood. So you naturally gravitate towards psychology, you know, which is the study of the mind. And, and I think the goal was to try and help myself feel better and feel mm. more connected. So yeah, psychotherapy was something that I really passionately wanted to do, but there was a lot of anxiety and a lot of toxic shame that I carried. And uh, naturally, yeah, it's, it kind of ebbed and flowed. And as I grew as a person, so did my desire to pursue this kind of work increase and push me in this direction. Yeah, yeah I think that's it's really interesting how it came from a need from within of you know being that unhappy child, as you said, and then actually wanting to help others with some things, you know, that they may be struggling with and go, growing through. And, and as you know, you know, it's always the way when you actually go out there and put yourself out in in a position to help others, sooner or later that energy comes back to you and it, and it feeds, you know, charges your battery up and fills your, fills your energy up as well. Absolutely. And did you always plan to go all the way with the study and get the doctorate or did you just kind of did that develop as you went along? The doctorate's actually in an unrelated field. The doctorate's okay. in um, in microbiology. So I think I went to uni and I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Well, I wanted to be a psychologist originally, um, but I didn't get the marks for psychology. So I ended up doing a, a biochemistry degree and then adding adding the psychology to it. Um, and then having finished the degree, I found psychology very, very rigid. 
and kind of decided that it wasn't for me. There was not much of my personality, not much of um, my identity that could come through. So I went in the direction of microbiology and biochemistry and ended up doing a PhD in that. Um, it was only years later, several years after finishing that, that I decided to come back and do a master's in psychotherapy. Got you. Okay, so you kind of came, went around the full circle, decided it wasn't something for you, but then decided to come come back to it and and I suppose yeah. develop your own style with, with yeah. your therapy, something that you, you did. And that I think, you know, I've seen a therapist for many, many years, about probably three years now. I've seen two different people who have just been really instrumental in helping in my life. And I think it's something I'm really keen and, and, and an advocate to talk about, you know, going to see a therapist when, when you need help, you know, asking for help essentially, not because you're weak, but because you want to remain strong. And I think it's a subject that is, is something kind of frowned upon and, and ridiculed in some way, by, particularly by young men. You know, but I think I see going to see a therapist as like, it's the brain for your gym, you know, and you go there and you, you exercise the mind and exercise some of the things that um, are bothering you in the mind and then some other things that you make stronger over time. Yeah. So I think there's, um, you know, I do think that the world is opening up to these conversations about mental health more and more, which is a fantastic thing. And that a lot of people have, you know, there's a lot of more government support come around in the past kind of 12 to 18 months, even like you see in billboards and advertisements in, in bathrooms, in places for, you know, more government helplines to, you know, beyond blue and services like that. So I think that's that's a great thing and it's it's heading in the right direction. It's a shame it kind of took a, the global pandemic to push it along, but it's also, it's, you know, it's a very positive thing. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. I think the great thing about about psychotherapy now or any kind of counselling now is that it's, it's becoming mainstream in the sense that you don't go to a therapist when there's something wrong with you. You go to a therapist just like you'd go to the gym. You want it, you, you want your mental and emotional health to be maintained, and people are becoming less and less stigmatized and afraid to ask for help, um, which makes my work a lot easier because you're not getting people who are at the final stages of, of holding it together or at the early stages of falling apart. It's people who generally want a healthy relationship with their inner world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. You know, people often say, oh, you know, um, you go and see a psych psychotherapist when you're when you're crazy. Well, it's it's almost a bit too late by that point, isn't it? Or it's not too yeah. late, but there's certainly a lot more work to do. You know, it's it's yeah. about being proactive in the initial stages of it. And I often find, you know, similar therapist is great. It'd be something I'll do maybe two, two, three times a month. Depends how stressful life is, what's going on. It's just as simple yeah. as that. But I also find that just having you know deep, meaningful open honest conversations with people that you know you can trust in your life and be open with just yeah. uh, almost just as helpful sometimes i know me and you have had many of those conversations over the years and um it's it's been interesting of course because you know you're a psychotherapist and, and we're talking usually about kind of deep psych things but i'm like just talk to me as a friend not a therapist and it's always a, a an interesting borderline that we skip back and forth across for sure yeah i think the good thing about this this, this kind of work is um, the goal is that you're not dependent on a therapist. So it's like when you go to a therapist and you're depressed, you get antidepressants and people think, well, this is this is the cure for me. I'm going to antidepressants. Mm. I think in a good therapeutic relationship, the point is that you come back and forth for maintenance, but then you go and actually practice the stuff in everyday life and you become more functional and more able to be your own therapist. I think that's the ultimate goal of this kind of work. 
Yeah, I, I think I, I really agree with that. And I actually it took me a long time until I started taking a, a journal with me to my therapist and started kind of taking notes because I'm thinking, I'm sat with him and I'm thinking, he's always taking notes. So maybe I should start taking notes. It took me about a year and a half to really to think about that. But now I always take notes and take a little journal and that helps me because, you know, in that hour that I'll, I'll see, then you, you can talk about and unpack quite a lot of stuff and you come away sometimes just only remembering small snippets of it. So I find it's really helpful to journal it, write it down. And then, like you say, be able to come back to that in your own time and reference that. And, yeah, give give that help to yourself, you know. Be your own best friend. That advice that you were, you would give to someone who's a really good friend of yours, give it to yourself and, you know, be, be kind to yourself and, and know that life is challenging and it's certainly been a lot more challenging for everyone in the past 12 to 18 months, perhaps than it has um, for, you know, the collective amount of years before that. But uh, I think we are, it seems like, you know, things are opening up and turning the corner now and in all parts of the world, you know, as you know, most of my family are in the UK and things are improving there, but um, that's, a, that's a whole different kettle of fish. Um, let's get back to the topic in hand. And if you'd like be kind enough to actually explain what psychedelic psych psychotherapy is or psychedelic integration therapy as it's um you know sure. as it's a big call sure um so psychedelic therapy is not literally therapy with psychedelics it's a whole process um i think the most effective kind of psychedelic therapy you do a lot of preparatory work beforehand so you meet the client you, just, you establish a therapeutic relationship and you really identify what they're hoping to achieve. For me, that usually means identifying what the client's trauma is. And trauma is essentially any event that's happened that hasn't been emotionally processed is a trauma. And it usually affects us in adverse ways. So we try to identify what the trauma is. We teach the client how to sit with the trauma, how to really feel it in their body. Often during that preliminary stage, we can actually let the trauma go. But for those clients that it's not possible, We've brought the trauma up to the surface as much as we can. And then the trip itself is like a point and shoot exercise. It's not throw you into the psychedelic environment and hope that, you know, things go for the best. There's an element of that. And there's an element of having whatever you need attended to really close to the surface so that when the trip actually starts, it picks up the unresolved trauma and helps the person resolve it. Essentially, the ego dissolves and the your defenses that are normally blocking you from progressing to your own freedom are gone and enables you to, to kind of get through whatever you need to do. On the other side of that, you're a different person. You have different ideas, you have different values, and you, your body is no longer protecting the trauma, but it doesn't often know that the trauma is gone. So the work on the other side is teaching you how to function in the world, being the new person you are, while still in some ways assuming you're the old character. So both the preliminary, the trip, and the integration steps are equally as important as each other. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for giving us a fuller picture there. And it's it's often the way. And I've had you know, personal experiences with this, particularly with um, psilocybin or magic mushrooms, as they're widely known. Um, often in an environment where I've done it, where it's been more of a, a party environment, but I've found time within that space to take myself away from the party and really learn some lessons from from what the you know from what the the natural sources are, are trying to teach me and it's like you said i think you can 
often get so far just with maybe what you would call a bit more conventional psychotherapy, psychotherapy treatment, but it comes to a point where, you know, these some of these things are that deep-rooted in us for so many years, you know. A lot of people don't really even become too self-aware, even, like, aware of their self in kind of any much way until their mid to late 20s. And, you know, sometimes these things can have been embedded in us from a child or even a, even a toddler, some of these things that we deal with. So, yeah, the, 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 the psychedelic edge of things can, as I've said in my own personal experience, just take you over to that edge, take you over to that kind of other dimension, as they like to say, that, that really brings all the stuff out of you. And it's not always a, um, a completely pleasant experience, but I've found always a very beneficial one. And I know something that, that you've uh, mentioned when I was looking at some information on your website and you said that the, the value of it can often not always come at the time from a psychedelic experience. It can often be days or even longer than that afterwards. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. The process can go for a long time. I've had psychedelic experiences where I've worked through some heavy stuff and it was a year to integrate it. I was functioning in the world and I was actively catching myself responding to stimuli that would often be really triggering in a different way. And I'd have to catch myself and actually teach myself going, hey, this is not how you respond to this stuff anymore. You're a different person. But because, as you said, some of these traumas are so deep and started so young, it's branched to every aspect of your life. So you're not even aware of how profoundly impacted you are for when you release it. Yeah, it's absolutely right, isn't it? And, and it's, you know, it, it affects... It, it then affects, once you have something that's in you for so long and it's been manifesting for so long, it starts to affect all the other people that you interact with in your life. You know? mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it can, can end up being actually not a very healthy, happy adult at all. But I mean, the great thing about this is that, um, and, we, and we probably should, you know, I, I know it's important to make this clear that, you know, psychedelic psychotherapy is not a legal practice in Australia at the moment. And what we're talking about here is, you know, when you've traveled and practiced it, in countries where it is legal, you know, in Australia at the moment, it is just all intents and purposes a research thing. And but you know, we're seeing actual government stuff. I know they've opened up psilocybin not too long ago as a form of palliative care, haven't they? Yeah, end of life. Yeah, absolutely. And there's clinical studies coming out left, right, and centre for PTSD and uh, and depression. Unfortunately, at the moment, it's only for people who are treatment resistant. But I think that's the process that needs to happen to, to push it over the line. And then we hopefully work towards making it available to mainstream people. Um, that's why I mean, a large reason of the work that I do is psychedelic integration. It's people who are seeking out this kind of therapy on their own, uh, as in psychedelic therapy on their own. And I help them plan and prepare for the experiences as well as make sense of them as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, give them a, a safe, safe guidance and and uh, a, a way to facilitate that, you know, because it's, uh, yeah. it's yeah, I would only ever say, I'm trying to think of an event where I would have done psychedelics when I was just from a sober state. I don't think yeah. it would have been that way. I think it would have always been when I was probably intoxicated in, in some other way. Um, but I, I, can, I can draw on a particular experience I had with, uh, with mushrooms at our much loved Rainbow Serpent Festival, which we haven't seen for a few years, but... Hopefully it returns sooner or later. Um, 
a particular experience where I had where I was I was really in a, in a place where I was I was battling with my ego you know ego edging goodness out and, and that's what it was really doing for me I was in this kind of battle between uh, Jake Fowler himself and Jake Fowler's ego and I remember doing these mushrooms and going through the quite intense part where I was seeing two or three of various different things and I was in the middle of the dance floor and uh, our friend Tommy goes to me he said mate you should sit down I was like no no I'm, I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine you know six foot four bloke I can handle anything this is no problem and he goes mate there's a, there's a chair just there for you please have a sit down and have a glass of water so I must have outwardly looked like I was quite distressed which I really was and then I had to sit down and then it all came to me then and, and the, the psilocybin revealed to me at the time that something that sounds quite simple now on the face of it, but something to me it was revolutionary and, and it was it was literally speaking to me. It was like it was like uh, not someone else in your head speaking to you, it was like another source kind of speaking to you, someone from a different place and and that, and it basically said to me that your ego is a collection of ideas and opinions of other people of you that you're trying to live up to. It's not actually who you are, and you and you should stop doing that because it's of no service to you. Mm. And you know, relinquish it and let it go. And instantly, as soon as I made peace with that idea, I kind of came to and looked around, and everyone was just having a fantastic time. And then I just cracked on and just had a, a wonderful time. And I, I remember there was a few other elements of that where I was I was closing my eyes and, and all these kind of I could just see this this field out in front of me and all these kind of mushrooms were just growing out of everything and everything was growing and expanding and it was all around just a, a wonderful experience um, but you know it's uh, there's, there's, there seems to always be a part with it in my experience where it gets a little bit um, distressful I don't want to say dark but I would, I would be on the borderline of that certainly something a bit scary and overwhelming to start with and once you kind of once you've taken a psychedelic, that's it. You know, there's not really any out button. You know, there's not really, you know, there's not really a stop button or a, a miracle to bring you out of it, is there? It's like, you know, you've done it now and enjoy the ride because yeah. that's how it is. Um, yeah. Would you agree with, with that? With the with the aspect of uh, the dark side of what? Of what's well, hard? yeah, with the fact that it's kind of always starts off a little bit rough until you settle and find your way, and then you learn the lesson and seem to come out the other side. I think it's very context based. Um, you know, taken in, in a in a festival environment, mm. there's so many factors that you're not controlling external to you and internal to you that it's probably going to have an aspect of difficulty that's going to come up. Um, or not going to, but it's likely. You don't know whether it's your own stuff. You don't know if it's coming up from the dance floor. You're very subjective. So you're very um, sensitive to external environment as well. Mm -hmm. um, in the psychedelic session, we're essentially manipulating the set and setting in such a way that we're hoping something's going to come up as well. So, and that's where music becomes so instrumental. You know, you'll have some songs which are just all about love and compassion, and you're probably going to feel a whole lot of it. And you're going to have some songs which are full of grief and sorrow. You're going to go into the grief and sorrow. Um, you know, we're curating it in such a way that we hope it's going to pick apart at all of these different aspects of your personality and all these different aspects of your ego fringes and pull out the stuff that needs to be cleared and filtered. Me personally, almost always have a big ego battle. I've been someone who was, you know, classically quite a egotistical, quite a control freak kind of guy. 
So tripping presented the most difficult of environments. It was the moment where this part of me that protected me had to step aside and was never happy to do so. So there'd be this, this internal conflict that would happen each trip. I'd like to think that nowadays, having done the work that I've done, it's, it's not a major play in my life. But if I'm coming from an environment where I've been performing, let's say, or working really hard, and egos had to be here because I needed to perform, I mm. cannot just go from that environment to a trip surrender. I kind of need a medium space. So mm. I would take a day or two off. I'd have a nice, easy, breezy couple of days where I'm taking care of myself and then do a trip. The transition from one to the other can be very difficult if you just throw yourself from one environment to the next. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it's very interesting. Interesting point that you made there about, you know, I aligned with you when you said, you know, I'm someone who's a, we have a battle with the ego a lot as well, you know, and, and I always remind myself when I'm in, I'm like, it's not to be important, but it's more important to be nice. And that's what kind of brings me back in and then centers me. Yeah. I think, um, you know, there's a fine line, of course, between ego and confidence. But when you're, you know, when you're uh, a level of, you know, performing or in a leadership role, um, certainly, you know, to an, an audience or if you're doing anything live, I know you've done some, some live talks and, and various other things as well. You kind of need that, that edge sometimes and it gives you that bit of confidence boost to have an ego. I think egos looked at as a, you know, a bad thing, a bit of a, a demonic thing, always got a big ego, but I don't think so. I think it's, you know, there's a fine line between that and confidence. Sure. So I mean, I, I'd kind of, I'm sorry to interrupt, I'd take that a little bit differently. I'd say there's a fine line between arrogance and confidence. Um, a healthy ego is absolutely necessary. It's when it becomes mm. unhealthy and you're overcompensating for a sense of inadequacy inside, that's when you get problems. But I'd say everyone you have on this on your podcast who's a successful entrepreneur needs to have a healthy ego. Some of them need to have an unhealthy ego because that's what helps them actually perform. Um, but the goal is to always kind of balance the two, to have Jake and to have Jake's ego in the room together. Together they help you perform and they help you achieve your best. Now, that's why you're the psychotherapist and that's why I'm the podcast host. <laughs> because you pretty much felt that I did, my friend. Yeah. Now, you mentioned something just back there about, and I've got a couple of questions on the side here, Malcolm. I will ask them to Yuri in a minute for you. Thank you very much. About set and setting, you mentioned set and setting. Would you like to explain a little bit more about that? Because that's a term used a lot with, with psychedelics, and I think it's quite important that um, it's yeah. really important part of it. And I'm quite embarrassed because I always get the two confused in terms of which one means what. But let's just stay with me here. One of them refers to, and I think it's what I was saying earlier, to your external environment. How have you prepared for it? Sorry, not how have you prepared for it, what's around you? So ideally when I'm doing psychedelic therapy, I'm in nature. There's no people that are triggering to me. There's no stimulus that's triggering to me. I'm feeling relaxed, I'm feeling calm, and for me that makes sure as best as possible that my ego activation is down and that the real Yuri is there as much as possible. The other one, set, setting, always confusing to me, but um, is your internal environment. To make sure that uh, you're prepared, to make sure that your intentions are clear to you and intentions are essentially what, it's a question that I like to have, what you're hoping to get out of the session. It's very different to expectations. People that come to a trip with expectations almost always leave disappointed. The goal is to have a, set, a clear set of questions of what you want to achieve and a clear set of goals. But when you get to the moment of tripping, 
you throw your hands up in the air and you say, I'm surrendering to the process that's going to happen right now. If you try to control it, you're probably going to miss the whole experience. So it's that fine juggling thing between those two. Yeah. And again, I can speak from personal experience here of, you know, having to let that control go. I remember at a time of um, smoking some DMT, which I can never, what's, how, what's, what's the long time, to, uh, what does DMT stand for? <laughs> no, I'll couldn't tell you, <laughs> dimethyl something, but yeah. Dimethyl tryptamine, I think, or something yeah. similar. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's, um, it, I believe, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it comes from uh, a plant that I think can be found, it's found in South America and Australia, I'm not sure. DMT itself it is in every single living uh, cell on Earth, oh. as far as I'm concerned. But yeah. the, the source of DMT usually comes from, I think most of us get it from acacia uh, tree bark. Okay. And there's also 5-MeO-DMT, which is now becoming quite um, quite popular. It's like the Everest of a DMT experience that comes from a particular toad in, in South America. Wow, that sounds yeah. like uh, another level stuff, but... I remember, you know, I mean, I, I remember smoking it loads of times and smoking it with a very good friend of mine and they were having the exact same amount from them and me and I was just like, they were like, this is awesome. And they're like, I was like, it's not doing anything to me at all. It's yeah. just not doing, it's not doing anything. And I had some more and I had some more and I had some more and it just, it wasn't doing anything at all. It just wasn't switching any kind of switches for me at all. And then uh, one one new year, or having a party out, you know, out in the bush, out in the country, I I said, you know, can I have some of that stuff, please? And I loaded up the pipe and I went off to a quiet part of the bush on my own. And before I did it, I took a few moments to just have a word with myself and say, Jay, be accepting of what is to come, and just you know, just go with it. Just go with it. Don't try and control it. Just go with it. and that was that was the time when when you know I went into it and had. Uh, just a, an experience that was just that was that was the one time I was like I, I was in a completely different I, I was I was there in the place and I could see everything that was going on but it had a completely different dimension and filter to it in the everything was just it was like everything was in neon lights it was crazy and then I remember looking at my hand and I could see straight through my hand it was like looking at an x-ray of my own hand but a live one moving it was just insane, but I mean, my main point is, I had to, I had to surrender to it. I had to surrender to it fully to even be able to get into the zone. And I think that goes back to what we were saying about, you know, this this element of myself that, um, and you know, you said there's parts of you as well that, you know, as as someone who's a leader, a protagonist, wants to always be in control. And when it comes to psychedelics, you have to completely let that go to be able to enjoy the experience and get the real benefit from it. Yeah. If we extrapolate that further, that I'm finding in my life, you can apply that to everyday life. You know, the only thing that's given in our life is that things are going to change all the time. And so many of us keep wanting to hold on to stuff, whether it's businesses, whether it's relationships, whatever it is. Mm. And the moment you surrender, the moment you stop trying to control the environment, it's there's so much more peace and ability to function in the world. So I find that my work with psychedelics is a beautiful mirror for my life and my attitude towards life in general yeah yeah something a very wise man said to me recently was relinquish control and have faith <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> i've been running with that ever since and it's been working for me <coughs> excuse me um 
Malcolm Free, a gentleman I had on the podcast previously, has asked a question on the side here. And um, I'll uh, get this up on the screen. Malcolm said, being labelled with PTSD myself, I know Malcolm used to be in the military for many years, where can I safely go to and read any research publications on the subject? Would you know anywhere, Yuri? Um, I would start, is this gentleman in the States? He's in the States, yes, correct, yeah. Uh, the MAPS website, uh, Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, uh, is the main American organization that's pushing uh, MDMA and psilocybin for PTSD. They've got a comprehensive database um, of research in this direction, and they partner with all the other organizations around the world, including My Medicine Australia, and My Medicine Australia here, that all kind of share publications that come out. So I think if you start with maps, they'll have a list of publications and you'll be able to uh, find some amazing research there. Okay. Um, is that maps.org? Yeah. Cool. Wonderful. Well, any comments? Thanks for your question, Malcolm. Hope that clears it up. I've accidentally put a lot of other stuff in the comments, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, Always good to have some questions, and I can see there's quite a lot of you watching, so thanks for watching, guys, from all around the world. Always awesome to have people watching and joining us, and if you do have any other questions, then this is probably a pretty rare chance for you to ask someone who is working in this space, so please go ahead and do. Now, Yuri, like I've said, does the world is opening up to the, this psychedelic treatment. You know, it's not being seen as the demon anymore. It's not being seen as the elephant in the room. It's actually, and, and when you look at kind of, I guess what you could call, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't class cannabis as a psychedelic really, but it I mean it does have some obviously psychoactive effects, but I guess you could depend on how you look at it. But that part of it has been completely opened up now, you know, um, particularly in America, in the UK, it's coming to a point where certainly in America, you can just go into a shop, ask them what you need, and they'll sell you cannabis over the counter. And I don't think it'll be too long much of the rest of the world has already followed suit and, until we see something you know, like a similar model in, in Australia. But where do you kind of see, I know you would have your finger on the pulse, certainly a lot more, and I'm not just talking about cannabis, but the, the, the wider stuff and some of the stuff we've just been talking about, you know, practicing with MMA, DMT, and psilocybin. Where do you kind of see the industry heading in the next three to five years? When you say industry, you mean in the country or globally? Uh, well... Both, why not, I guess. Start with whichever one you like. I mean, the states have done incredible stuff. The uh, the West Coast, Oregon's decriminalized drugs altogether. Um, really? Altogether? I didn't know that. All drugs have been decriminalized. Um, LA, I think, uh, have a bid in Congress or wherever they have their uh, discussions to decriminalize psychedelics. Um, they're in phase three trials throughout America, which means we're hopefully less than 18 months away from um, legal prescription of MDMA and psilocybin for treatment-resistant uh, PTSD. Australia, still behind. Uh, we're trying mm -hmm. to push uh, reform with the EGA, DGA, sorry. Um, but I have a feeling I'm a very optimistic when it comes to this kind of stuff. Australia tends to follow America quite closely. So once America gets it across the line, things will move here very, very rapidly. 
again, I've been interviewed about this topic a bit before and I tend to be the most optimistic in the room. Um, but I would be saying three to five years, you're going to have this treatment available in Australia. Well, I think there's nothing wrong with being the most optimistic person in the room you're in, you know. Like yeah. me, you know, you're not an entrepreneur and, and the thing about entrepreneur is that they are often optimists and, and optimists is yeah, yeah. optimist sees an opportunity in everything where as a pessimist sees quite, yeah. the, quite the opposite as a challenge in everything. So I think it's always important Absolutely. to remain optimistic as an entrepreneur and, and that's not been easy, you know, particularly for anyone that's watching me, I have a lot of people watching this that are in the business and entrepreneurial world or perhaps looking at want to switch into it. Been a tough time for that and I think that's probably a, a good segue to talk about a bit of that because I know you've, as well as um, psychedelic psychotherapy, you opened a, you opened up a gym in the, within the past 18 months, a, a bouldering gym, which I've been hanging out at a bit and really enjoying, uh, learning how to climb. Uh, which is challenging and always lots of fun and you always end up with lots of learned to stretch my forearms before I do it because they're the things that really get smashed um, it's always good yeah. fun but I mean opening up a gym in the, in the middle of the pandemic and being constantly you know really difficult and I've seen this firsthand how, how difficult it's been for you mate because it's it's constantly you know the thing about being an entrepreneur is you go into it partly because of the freedom the freedom of being able to do your own thing being your own boss being able to you know lead your own team but it's really difficult you know owning a gym and actually being constantly abashed by these rules that are always changing all the time you can be open you can't be open you can have this many people you can have that many people so i mean imagine it's been a pretty pretty tough time in that respect for that business Absolutely. I mean, yeah, and there's not just the gym. I've got a real estate company that's sort of based on, on shared accommodation, which is largely dependent on international student and traveler market. Um, I think, yeah, owning multiple businesses in a world that is completely destabilized by any kind of normality is extremely challenging. Uh, it's extremely stressful. And, yeah, optimism is what kept me alive and kept me going, um, <laughs> you know. That and a bit of self-psychedelic therapy definitely helped along the process. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah, I've, I've had plenty of, sorry to go across you, I've had plenty of the first dose. Maybe I need a little bit more of the second. I'm always optimistic. Uh, maybe I need to start exploring the psychedelic parts again. And, you know, I've genuinely I'll be open about that. I've really been really been thinking about that. And um, I think it's, it's something you'd be, would you say, we're flicking back to it now, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that because it relates to business. Do you think you have to be in the right headspace to be able to take psychedelics? And when I say that, I mean that your intentions are clear and pure when you go in. When you're taking psychedelics or when you're starting a business? Yeah, like if, if, you're, if you're highly stressed, you know, and you've had a really tough couple of weeks, maybe even month, couple of months, and you think, oh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take a trip and, and see how that works out for me. Do you think that's a, a kind of an optimum state and place to do that in? In my experience, if I'm highly stressed and I take a trip, the trip amplifies my stress, which means I have an opportunity to deal with it then and there. But mm -hmm. if I can't, then the whole trip is just this turbulent ride of me trying to surrender and, and let go. So... Mm -hmm. I try to, even if my life is full of stress, I try to create a certain bubble around the trip of a few days where I'm in a zen-like state as possible. Mm. Um, and then hopefully I'm in a much better capacity to handle um, the stress if it comes up during the trip itself.
yeah well i guess creating that bubble is important and when you've got a beautiful uh, country spot like you have that can be easy to create that bubble of course sure yeah uh, how do you do you have any you know a lot of people will be watching this also you know you two of their business you know one of them is a real estate company which is directly affected by you know a lot of people who who rent at your places are people who come into this country in tourism every year and we've just not had that this year and, you know the gyms the gyms have been i think next to events really gyms are one of the industries that's been smashed probably the most by by covid could be wrong that's of course my perception but um and you know uh, psychotherapy i mean that could have been something that's trended upwards because a lot of people have been struggling with stuff so there's always pushes and pulls but how do you remain how do you how do you continue to remain optimistic throughout it has a lot to do with my self-development so i think uh, i mentioned at the very start of the show that i carried a lot of toxic shame and how that expressed itself professionally was anything that looked like a failure, smelt like a failure, ultimately felt like a failure. And it wasn't just the business that was failing. It was me failing as an individual, that there was inherently something wrong with me. The work that I've done where I've, I've purged that shame and I've come to, I guess, the real me, I can separate the successes of, and failures of, of a business or any aspect of life from that of myself. So I guess I'm quite aloof when it comes to all of it. If the business fails, it failed, so be it. I'll move on with my life, I'll start something new. Mm -hmm. um, I try not to take things personally, I guess is the answer to your question. Um, yeah. For me, there was something romantic about COVID and all the businesses, a lot of businesses going down. It's like, well, I didn't fail. There's a collective destruction going on and we're all going down together, which means we'll all probably transform and rebuild into new people with new businesses and it's okay. Um, that was a big part of my mantra and uh, I think it's what continues to drive my entrepreneurial spirit because I'm not afraid of the loss or the failure. I don't see it as a loss or a failure. It's just, okay, that opportunity happened, I'm going straight for the next opportunity and that's fine. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it. You know, don't be afraid to fail. It's part of yeah. success, you know, it's it's part, it's, it's the two things are on the same side of the same coin, you know, and uh, it can be a very fine line between them sometimes. And I think a lot of people have, have, have lost businesses and, and projects and things like that in COVID, but also there's been a lot of brand new ones born. The amount of people I know who have just took something they enjoyed doing, whether it was, you know, baking cakes or growing vegetables or doing graphic design and thought, you know, I could do a bit more of this and start charging people money for it. And I think when people start turning their passion into a side hustle which later becomes a business and when you're working in something that is your passion you never feel like you're actually working and but you've been you start getting rewarded financially for it because you're very good at it and you're actually living your calling i think that's a really nice place to be and i think that's actually a really positive and on the subject of optimism and an optimistic thing to look at and trend that's come out of covid as a whole mm -hmm. yeah for sure now we get to the end of the show and uh i've really enjoyed spending some time with you mate as i always do but it's nice to explore this show i'm just getting oh we've got another 20 minutes i'm sure we could uh we could use the time sure how about the word hustle yuri of course it features in the title of this podcast and i like to ask every single guest that comes on the show how they define the word hustle and what's driven their hunger for it 
It's a favorite word of mine. I, I could I see myself as a hustler. That's how I define myself. <laughs> yeah. From humble beginnings of just trying to uh, earn a buck um, to, I guess, hustling bigger enterprises. How do I define the word hustle? Um, slightly shadily making your way across the world and yes. uh, <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Yeah. 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 So okay. Shadily putting one foot in front of the other with the intentions to, to step out into the light and be successful. Mm. Yeah. I think, I think what you've touched on is interesting there because, you know, a lot of people think of uh, sometimes when I think of the word hustle and I think about it a lot, you know, I think about it a lot. I think about, the word hustle and, and what it means to me and i find it's something that i can never quite define because it always seems to change and evolve but a lot of the time when i think of it i think of like someone on a street corner in a really busy city probably selling something illicit or just like you know selling stuff out of car boots or selling stuff you know uh that's perhaps a bit shady that's what comes to, comes to my mind and i think that that can be for what a lot of people is is how their heart started hustling i mean my first ever hustle was selling uh, you know what does it call them call them lollies here in australia for the west rest of the world that's sweets and candy um on the playground at school you know i'd literally go and like buy multi-packs from the cash and carry store from um, uh, costco or what have you and then i'd sell them on the playground and pretty much every day i get told i wasn't allowed to do it get all the stuff taken off me then I'd go and get it back at the end of school and then I'd just do it again the next day and it just went on for years like that. And and I think it does, yeah, like like you said, it just starts from wanting to make a buck and wanting to make your own way in the world and not have to rely on, on this trade of perhaps your time for someone else's money or being under the guise of someone else that says you have to work in this certain building for so many hours a day and at the end of this week period or month period, I'm going to give you this money, but um, you know, don't have too much fun in these couple of days that you're going to get in between because I want you right back on here on Monday and I want you to do the same thing for the same money, but probably work harder. And and for me, that um, I mean, it always rubbed me up the wrong way, and that's why in the end I ended up switching to being a you know full-time entrepreneur, which is something I did last year, which. You know, for anyone who's watching this and I know, like the part of the reason I do this podcast is to inspire as, as well to look, go into interesting subjects like we have today, like psychedelic psychotherapy, but to inspire you guys to go for it, you know, start that side hustle, start earning your own cash. You know, it doesn't have to be an instant transformation where you're like, I'm going to quit my job and do it straight away. In fact, I really wouldn't advise that because that can leave you in a bit of a dangerous situation. But just go forth and, and explore things. And once you find something that you're passionate in, just do it more and more and more and more. Because when you do more of what you enjoy in life and less of what you don't enjoy, life just becomes a lot more happier and, and wholesome. So you got any tips, Yuri, on, on for anyone that would be wanting to step into the world of business and, and entrepreneurship? Because, you know, I know you weren't always there. I know you used to, Remember when you, when you were the, it wasn't something I ever experienced, but they used to work in the chicken shop with the root, and they used to call you the rooster with the mohawk. Absolutely. Yeah. Humble beginnings, as I said. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's a bad shit. <laughs> chicken shop while hustling out the back. Yeah. 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 yeah that's um, the way. But 
the advice that I would give for anyone who wants to go in any entrepreneurial direction is if you can try and marry your work with your artistic expression, you're going to be a happier person. Don't pick a hustle. Don't pick a career that just brings money. Pick one where you can really flower in it. And if you can marry your work with your artistic expression, you're going to have a smile on your face most of the time. Your work is not going to feel like work. It's going to feel like art. And you're going to be experiencing flow states more and more, which I think is one of the secrets to life. Oh, yeah, flow states. That's what we like. We're just in that in that <clears throat> that, st that state where everything just, I mean, flows. Silly way to put it, but everything everything just happens. There we go. Yeah. In, in synchronicity, everything seems to be happening in fortuitous timing. You're surrounded by people, things, and environments that just build you up. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a great place to be. It really, is a great place to be. And yeah. yeah. If, 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 I, um, if my ideas are correct, then you're going to be in a flow state whilst paying me money in a couple of hours and climbing on the wall. It's Monday night, of course. Yeah, you're right. So flow states of work are going to be married soon, and it's going to be it's going to be magical. There you go. How about that? For a segue, we're about to enter a flow state right now this evening. Yeah, of course. I mean. Shout out to Boulder Project as well. Let me just get a uh, let me just get the website. Is it by the boulderproject.com.au? That's the one. Yeah, that's the one. Bouldering as well. I mean, I mean, why not? Let's talk about bouldering because I think I've only just really got into it, and I really have. You know, I've really only got into. It. I know you've climbed at many places all around the world for years, haven't you? And I think that. Bouldering is one of those things. It's like a lot of things. It's like a run I went for this morning, actually. I started going ready in, you know, to try and just be a healthy human and lose some fat and feel a bit more better in my own skin about two months ago. And when I started, I could just about run for 10 or 15 minutes and I was pouring with sweat. My chest was killing me and I just felt like a, a weakling, really, to be honest, because I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't get very far. And now this morning, I did a 45 minute run. I had one brief stop to check how far I'd come and that was for about 30 seconds and I got home thinking I could have gone further and and it's just it's baby steps it's small steps along the way in, in all these things that we try that are physical that build us up to a great place of, of really a, a flow state you know and I think bouldering is one of those ones that uh, it's tough and you look at it and you step back and you think, well, that doesn't look too bad. I could just get from there to there, there to there. But when you're actually in it and your arms and your legs start burning, and I always have, I still always have that little fear in me, like, oh, I'm a bit high up here. I know it's a crash map, but it still feels like I could hurt myself if I, if yeah. I fell the wrong way. But no, that's, my, that's my scope and knowledge of, of bouldering and, and how you can, you, can relate, you can relate that to life, you know. You start off at something, you're okay, you're average at it, but you just got to keep going until you get to a point where one day you'll look back and you'll be like, I'm actually proficient in this now, I actually know what I'm doing. And and it wasn't really, didn't really actually take me that long because I stuck at it and I kept working hard. Yeah. And and once you get good at it, there's a next problem around the corner and you just got to kind of open, open your arms and be ready for the next adventure. So again, I've got fantastic metaphor for life. And I think it's, it's a sport like most sports where... You can lose yourself in it. You don't have to think. You don't have to feel judged. You don't have to think what other people are thinking of you. You climb. You have a good time. You learn something. You fall back down. And you start again. 
Simple as that, yeah. Come climb, have a good time. There you go. There's a, a new a new motto for the business. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll submit my fee tonight for that um, piece of marketing I've just given you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there. I'll be there at 6, 6 p.m. Nice. <clears throat> I think that's a, I think that's a wrap, Yuri. Is there anything anything you'd like to anything you'd like to leave us with or or raise at the end of the show? Or do you think we've we've covered everything in in entirety? Like yeah, I feel like if anyone wants to know more about psychedelic therapy or is interested in working with me, you can leave them my website and just um, provide some information. Cool. Um, other than that, I'm always up for a chat. So if anyone ever has any questions, just feel free to give me a call. I'm accessible on every single platform that exists. And yeah. Uh, yeah, be happy to answer questions. Wonderful. And uh, I've put Yuri's website in the links there, folks. For anyone listening back on the audio, it is www. Of course, it's always up. Innerfocustherapy.com.au. Innerfocustherapy.com.au. And uh, actually, I think with the quick Google of the name Yuri Sharmas, you'll find him pretty easily. He's always putting out lots of good insightful really thoughtful stuff on facebook as well which i enjoy interacting with so um i'm sure you'll find him there but just a big thank you as we sign off everyone that watches the show you know 97 hours in now rapidly approaching triple digits and you know, you know getting a lot of love and support from everyone who watches the show all around the world and i'm really grateful for all you guys watching on whatever platform you watch on so if you've enjoyed the show please share it with your family and friends and take a minute to subscribe and leave us a review. That is all from us today, folks. I will be back on Wednesday with another show. In the meantime, stay happy, stay healthy, stay hungry, and keep on hustling. Thank you for your time, Yuri. Thank you for joining me. Appreciate it.